and welcome to In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. Happy Valentine's weekend, everyone. And because we as a society apparently don't already talk about love and relationships in media enough, that's what our episode today is going to be about particularly love and relationships in the context of Filipino romance films. But if you guys know the two of us in person, you'll also know that we might not be the best equipped to talk about this stuff, at least not by ourselves. So we have a guest over to help us out. Our friend Ika De Leon is here. Hi, Ika. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for inviting me to like this podcast. It's like super fun. We just started now and I'm having the greatest time. Oh, Ika, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We know there's a lot going on right now. So thanks for making the time. Thank you for having me. Like, this is like my thing. I love talking about media. Mm -hmm. And you guys are really fun. So like, this is a win-win for everyone. Exactly. We invited you, Ika, because you share the same media nerdiness as we do and have been doing media critique content for much longer, honestly, as a video essayist. Plus, you actually also have a video essay series on today's theme of Filipino love themes and romantic comedies. So if you guys want to check out her YouTube channel, please do. It's genuinely in the same vein as this podcast. Yeah, I'm like you guys, but in YouTube form. So like, if you like video essays, if you like media. Right, we'll have her YouTube channel linked in the show notes below. And... I am really excited about this podcast episode in particular. Alanis, what are we talking about today? So today we're going to talk about Filipino love teams and romantic films. Yay! Woo! Okay. What an unheard of topic. (laughs) We totally don't talk about that on a daily basis. But honestly, at least to us, it's still super exciting because, I mean, it's a classic and super, super fun. This is what things like The Buzz and E! News are built on. Mm. So we're definitely going full afternoon Tita talk show today. Mood. This is like the best way to do it. Yeah. Love teams, Filipino movies, crying because of Filipino love teams and movies. Exactly. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. So we're here to talk about Filipino rom-coms, but I don't think we're going to be able to do that without first tackling the Filipino love team. Honestly, it's a pretty difficult concept to put into like one succinct definition, but how would you guys explain what it is, like especially in the Filipino context? Well, if I'm going to say that they're just like two heterosexual presenting actresses and actors working together in a series of movies that's like very reductive, mm-hmm. it doesn't encapsulate everything that a Filipino rom like a filipino love team is rather it's like two people whose careers are forever intertwined with each other right and it's very filipino you don't see it in other countries except for maybe korea right nowadays at least you usually start with a love team and if you're lucky enough you get to branch out from that love team no yeah what you said about their careers being forever intertwined that's really how i would define what the love team is. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it a Filipino media concept in the first place also because it's career-based and not project-based. Right, yeah. If you look at other media industries, a pairing usually lasts for that one particular piece of media only, whatever that piece of media may be. So it could be for the duration of a franchise, 
but it still usually is just for that project. Yeah, yeah. And while it's not unheard of to keep working together or to have several projects together, it's not necessarily the norm. And it doesn't last for most of their careers, and they're free to branch out whenever they want to. So if you look at dominant media, that's the model that's usually followed. Even in South Korea, which you mentioned, Ika, like in Asian dramas, it's actually very rare to have the same pairing for a project, especially immediately after they finish one. Right, because elsewhere, they make an event out of like a pair that's already worked together coming back and doing another project. Like that's what makes the headlines. Exactly. Whereas here in the Philippines, when an actor in a love team has a project where they're not with a person they're typically paired with, that's what makes the news. That's what's out of the ordinary. Yeah, for example, Hello, Love, Goodbye, when Catherine said, like, goodbye, Danielle, like, or something. And then, <laughs> like, not exactly goodbye, Danielle, but when she paired up with, like, an- another leading man, Alden, who was just fresh off of Aldub, it's, like, a huge thing. Everyone was talking about, oh, she's a real actress now. She's legit. Right, yeah. That's such a good point. Of course, we're talking about Catherine Bernardo, one half of the ubiquitous Katniel love team with Danielle Padilla and Alden Richards, also one half of another big love team, Aldob with Maine Mendoza. And yeah, you're right. This role for Catherine particularly is now considered her breakout role that suddenly legitimizes her as an actress because she was able to successfully carry out a role outside of Katniel. But also with Hello, Love, Goodbye, they really did market it as, you know, two people from different love teams and of different networks also working together. So that was very interesting. The event was two people not being paired with the people that they always worked with. What a scandal, you know? (laughs) Plus, like, Danielle Padilla was always sort of in that discussion as well. It was always like, oh, no, he's fine with this. It's cool. cool. Everything's okay. I forgot to mention, initially, it was supposed to be written for Katniel. But then Danielle was like, oh, like, no, uh, we agreed that we're going to take other roles. So like, even if I love the script, I'm going to let Catherine spread her wings and be with Alden in this one. I mean, I'm not doubting that that happened, but like the PR of that. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. That they had to reiterate that and also use that, really. It's smart and it worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hello, Love, Goodbye was like a hit. Hello, Love, Goodbye is a great movie. I think it was like a way to appease the fans. Right, right. I'm not into like Stan Twitter and I didn't really see anything, but I can only imagine how people felt when their faves weren't going to be in a movie together right either excitement or anger but in general it's just new you kind of have to make sure that they stay sane and the way to do that is by showing oh they're strong they're amazing he's supportive he's a good boyfriend you basically have to hold the fans hands i think and be like we're fine it's gonna be everything's okay (laughs) this is a good thing I mean, of course, they thought it was a good thing. They made money from it. (laughs) But I do agree that they had to appease the fans on some level. Because it was still a risk. Since the love teams that they came from were huge and well-established and were, for all intents and purposes, even rivals. So having Catherine and Alden as a pair is gutsy. Because it's a break in the formula. And fan response was up in the air. So they needed to reassure everyone. And they did that through Danielle and through the real-life relationship of Danielle and Catherine. That really 
kind of encapsulates it, doesn't it? That fans are invested in the lives of the actors outside of projects. Because when you think of like what a love team is, these two actors, they're a unit. Like they're marketed as one pair, a package deal. And so that also encourages the fans to kind of look at them as naturally together. Yeah, the real-to-real phenomenon in the Philippines. Mm, yeah. And I think the investment of fans is derived from that possibility of the real-to-real romance. I think that's what really captures the interest of the audience and what the love team banks on to become influential. I mean, that's definitely what happened to Kathiel. But I'm thinking also of Aldob particularly, since Aldob was really born out of that kind of image-making or storyline. It happened in what is essentially a variety entertainment show where they're playing themselves but using personas. And people loved it, even though they understood that, you know, this isn't happening in real life. They don't actually get married in real life. So it's all very meta. I think because it's part of our culture to, like, expect love teams to get together. I think it happened way back. I, I don't know if they're the first, but I think it started with Sharon and Gabby. And then, like, over the years, it just started becoming, like, a thing. Little by little, people were like, oh, okay, love teams. Um, They're going to get together eventually. And then fast forward to, like, I think maybe 2008 onwards, where... They start being groomed to be in love teams. Mm-hmm. You have a pretty lady, and then you realize, oh, they're marketable. Let's find someone with great chemistry. Right. And they're kind of like forced into this project at such a young age. And then if it works, they continue. If it doesn't, separate and experiment again. Catherine was initially supposed to be paired with Albi Casino. Mm. So that didn't work out. So they were like, okay, let's put her with Danielle. And then they're like, Ooh, okay, so this is something. Actually, um, Ika, that was what I found really interesting in your video essay. Oh, yeah. I didn't know how systematic the process was of making a love team. I kind of thought that it was just, oh, <laughs> let's put them together. Okay, here, go, yeah. To systematize love teams, of all things, is very telling of how big it is for us, culturally and in our media. Yeah, it, it relies on it in a way. Like, it thrives because we have discovered this model of creating media for people. Yeah, I think so too. I think the concept of love teams is probably definitive of our media industry. And it's very pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in every kind of show on TV, from teleseries to afternoon shows to talk shows. And then not to mention, you know, films and radio shows. Right, yeah. You don't really notice it because you're in it. But then when you take a step back, everywhere there is a love team. Everywhere they're pushing this idea of two people being together. And what's interesting to me is that it's so much the antithesis of like how, what's it called, paired actors are thought of in like the West or pretty much everywhere else where there is very much this call to kind of like respect private lives and like Mm. keep work separate or whatever. Like don't ship real people, you know? Yeah, don't ship real people. There's the whole thing about that, which we'll probably discuss in some other podcast. Ooh, okay. But here in the Philippines, you're pretty much encouraged to really care about the relationship of like two actors that, you know, start off from a film. Or like a teleserie. I think you're almost encouraged to tell 
I don't know, like cyberspace or anyone who's listening, what you like, right? They'll know whether you're gonna, they're going to do it again or if they're just going to disband the love team. But I would also add to what you said, Clea, of this being an antithesis of maybe a more Western model of paired actors. While the audience can ship real people that, you know, actually happens, I think the personalities involved have more of a liberty to deny a relationship. They're allowed to say, okay, no, that's not happening. We're not together. This isn't a thing. Please don't make it awkward, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, all of that they can say without endangering their careers and having their fan bases turn against them. But here, if you say those things after being in a love team, you become villainized. People will revolt. Kumbaga, don't bite the hand that feeds. That happened to Alden, right? Alden and Maine. Yeah. Especially when Maine had a new boyfriend. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't Alden, so it shattered the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're in a love team and you have someone else, you're not allowed to talk about it, you know? Yep. It's on the DL for sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's happened, but I don't. we don't really know about it, right? No one really talks about it. Well, people speculate. There are always rumors and whispers that surround the love teams. And I think actually it's interesting that, you know, people consume these rumors or are at least aware of them. I feel like that shows that people know on some level that love teams could very well just be an illusion. Not all of them become a real-to-real romance. Like, they know that naman. For sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's fun. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really prevent you from enjoying the romance that the love team would show you. Because sure, it could be fabricated. But it could also be real. And again, it's really that sliver of possibility that makes the love team so powerful. You see it in how they kind of present their real lives too. There's a bit of, um, shall we say teasing of that possibility. One of the best examples probably is James Reed and Nadine Lustre before they got together Mm, where they would just constantly tease the possibility of them being together and it stretched out for so long, right? It took so long before there was actual confirmation that they were in a relationship. Yeah, and and that also happened with Katniel. It took them literally like more than six years before they finally said, yeah, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. We've been hiding it. I was always under the impression that they were together since like the very beginning. Right. But no, they were like literally like, um, baka, maybe, we'll see. Like that's always the words. You can almost imagine their faces. Yeah, yung sobrang pakipot. With matching audience screams. Yeah, with the audience yees. Yeah. Or Tito Boy like being, hmm? (laughs) (laughs) Just like something like that. Although I think that that is like part of that maybe also like rooted in, you know how that pre-boyfriend and girlfriend stage usually stretches out? Like for a while. Panligo. Yeah, or like so you and Yeah, basically. That is a great point. It does reflect how long the traditional panliligaw period? Yeah, how long the traditional panliligaw period could be. So it really follows the ideal progression of a relationship, I think. So their kind of trajectory as people is reflective of the trajectory of their love team's career. Mm. Yeah. When they hit a certain age, you know, um, sabi nga nila, ready na po ako for more mature roles direct. <laughs> <laughs> so the material, the themes, the roles they get to play become more mature also. Yeah, there are definitely beats that you you kind of have to hit if you're like in a love team. 
you start out with teeny bopper films, 30 and 50, and high school romance. Majokalik, they don't even kiss at the end. Right. Fast forward a couple of years, and they're already in college. And they do kiss, but there's nothing steamy about it. And then finally, boom, you have them when they're mature. They're 20. They're ready for steamy scenes. They're ready for breakups. They're ready for heartbreak. In a way, they're kind of growing up with their audience. If you start at the same age as them, you kind of hit the same beats as they do. That's a great point. In a weird way, it sort of feels like they're telling a story that you are designed to relate to. Yeah. Man, we're just projecting into these people. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of living vicariously through them or you think that they're reflecting what's happening in your life. It's either you think your life is like that or your life is like that. Or you want your life to be like that, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think you can usually pinpoint turning points or shifts or milestones in the timeline of a love team's career. And I think one of the biggest shifts in general is reaching Kathy Garcia Molina, the director, who's like super big, super known in the industry and institution herself. What's interesting is that Kathy Garcia Molina by herself is like such a big name in Filipino film and Filipino media in general. But aside from that, she's also such a staple in Filipino rom-coms to the point that if you're a successful love team, you will probably have worked with her at least one point in your career. You've worked with her, you made it. Yeah. You have solidified yourself in Philippine media history. Yeah, and you've proven marketability because Kathy Garcia Molina has multiple blockbuster hits. And she has her own pull. When you think of all of the movie trailers, like your actors are there and everything, and then you also have directed by Kathy Garcia Molina. In the curly font with the <laughs> sparkles. Not the fade, the sparkles. Yeah, yung may fade na parang awkwardly, like yung light pink, ganon. <laughs> No, actually, may bokeh. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, just having her name on a project already guarantees that people are going to watch it. Yeah. To have her work with, like, a love team means that this is a big, marketable, like, relevant love team in the industry. And Kathy Garcia Molina frequently collaborates with certain actors and love teams, too. But the ones that would kind of immediately come to mind are Catherine Bernardo and Daniel Padilla, Katniel, which we've already mentioned, and the very classic love team, John Lloyd and Bea Alonso. The films that solidified these love teams are helmed by Kathy Garcia Molina. Katniel in The House of Us and John Lloyd and Bea in One More Chance which we will dive into today. Woo! Okay. And it's so exciting because when we decided to reference these two films, we didn't realize how similar they were pala. Yeah, right? We had such a hard time deciding like what movies um, we were gonna watch here. And the funny thing is like we, we resorted to like draw lots. It was serendipitous really. Like I think the universe was like, okay, let's give them like this thing and it's a perfect thing to like discuss especially when it comes to like philippine love teams you know so at this point there's really no denying that one more chance is a modern classic everyone knows it right look if you haven't watched it you know the scene yeah you know the scene i'm talking about if there ever was like a canon 
of Filipino rom-coms, One More Chance is one of the first few ones on there. That's true. It's so iconic and it's so well-known. It's virtually impossible for someone to not at least have heard of it or have seen like one scene from it. Mm, exactly. I think it definitely changed the game in some way. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but it may have like solidified the idea that Kathy Garcia Molina works with big with big names and big love teams. No, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it made everyone involved in the movie household names. And right. it's been quite some time since it came out. It was released in 2007? My God! <laughs> time is not real. Yeah, and the fact that it's released in 2007 but made a resurgence recently because of like, I don't know, social media or something just shows that it's kind of a timeless film. The resurgence also happens every few years, actually. That's true, yeah. I remember in high school, a lot of people were talking about it also and that was like 2013, 2014 and then now there's another resurgence. So like, There was also a brief resurgence mostly of memes while we were in college. Right. Yeah, so it just it's one of those things that just literally... Pops up organically like every few years. It even got a sequel, right? Yeah, it did. It was big enough that it got a sequel, and the sequel did really well. I don't, I don't know. There's just something about it that's magnetic in a way. The thing is, it's also become so iconic that it's also being referenced in other popular media. Mm, like yeah. so many iconic lines and scenes pop up on social media all of the time. And the haircuts. The haircuts, yeah. I just want to say that the haircuts is iconic. That weird pixie cut with the with the side swept bangs. Bieber could never. Yeah. Bieber could truly never. He never. Could not pull off what Mahal pulled off. I'm I'm sorry. Never. This is like the OG. Absolutely. Walang sinabi si Justin Bieber sa tulong. On the other end of the spectrum that we're also going to talk about is the House of Us, much like what One More Chance was to Bea and John Lloyd. The House of Us, I think, really solidified Katniel as blockbuster actors. And this was also a film that made a lot of people stop and really take both of them more seriously as actors. Exactly. Before that, they were just like, oh, they're a love team and they're killing. And they make good movies together. But then when The House of Us came, they're like, oh, they're just really good actors and actresses. Yeah, like, man, they can, these kids can act. They, we always knew that they had chemistry. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a decade-long career. But with The House of Us, they're like, oh, they have chemistry and talent. It's such a unique thing to have both because i feel like people assume like when you're in a love team you don't have to be talented right yeah because it doesn't matter if you're talented the the hype around the love team sort of carries you through mm. yeah and they were able to prove that wrong i think with this movie they were successfully able to remove that stigma Like, I personally like their performances. And a lot of people agree with me clearly because The House of Us was a huge hit. Yeah, it hit like 810 million pesos in earnings 20 weeks in, which is like a lot, you know? That's a lot of money. And they were expecting that. Yeah. 20 weeks in the cinema, I mean, that's basically how you know they were pushing the film because it was still expected to generate traffic. I guess it was, it was just really that good. I enjoyed the movie. Like it wasn't a thing where like, oh, this is overrated. I don't really like it. It's like they deserve this. Right. Yeah, and I mean, critics and award-giving bodies agreed. This performed so well in awards shows also. We can't list like everything at one, but just know it, it was a lot. There's really a lot. <laughs> um, like whatever we say, it doesn't matter because na panalunan na nila yun. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine. Kampanya na sila. Okay na sila. But yeah. 
So One More Chance and The House of Us are similar in their success and also similar in the way that they are hallmark films for their respective love themes. But actually, they're also very similar thematically. Both of the movies, they're told in a non-linear fashion. And it's about a relationship that fell apart and is trying to get back together. It starts with a breakup and then at the end, they get back together. I mean, that's not really a spoiler. Like It's part of the formula anyway. A rom-com is only a rom-com if there's a happy ending. And then it's about like a dysfunctional relationship where the boyfriend is an ass and the girlfriend's kind of sick and tired of it. Right, yeah. The girlfriend goes her own way and then the boyfriend has to like go through this kind of mental and physical and emotional change before he can get the girl back. Right, that's basically both movies. But I'm wondering actually what your general opinion is on both. I guess we should start with One More Chance. What did you guys think when you first watched it? Okay. I am kind of terrified to say this. Go ahead, Dina. <laughs> because it's fine. <laughs> I, 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 it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's iconic. I will always respect it for what it did. I will respect that it solidified itself in the media industry, that it comes back and pop culture and meme references but when i was watching it i don't know if it's because i was too old for it yeah i was just kind of like this this is not living up to the hype okay i always thought it would be like oh my god it's great if you want to get into philippine movies just watch it but like i'm like this is not the first filipino movie i would recommend Mm, okay how about you alanis no ika i totally relate it was the same for me i watched it in high school and this is not to be like, I'm not like other girls or whatever, but I just didn't enjoy it. Um, I saw it and I thought, yeah, the relationship is kind of lame. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, like you, Ika, I do appreciate and acknowledge that it's a popular film for a reason and it resonated with a lot of people, but I probably just wasn't the target market. Okay, so it looks like I'm gonna be the combo breaker here. Ooh, okay. I grew up with three older sisters, so classic Filipino rom-coms were like my thing growing up. And I saw One More Chance, I think when I was around 11 years old, Um, when it came out. Ooh, okay. Obviously, I didn't really have like the mental faculties to fully dissect media back then. But I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought, like, you know, even then, that John Lloyd and Bea were great actors. Yeah, they are. Obviously, when you understand the world a little better, your opinions change. But for me, I think One More Chance will always be one of those films that's shrouded in nostalgia, in that I probably remember it a little better than it actually was. Okay, that makes sense. But like the both of you guys, it's a film that I really appreciate and respect and genuinely enjoy watching. I think like for me, I I got into it a little too late. It wasn't even in high school. It was probably like recently, like after I graduated. Mm, Okay. Yeah, so like... I'm pretty old. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty old now watching it. Yeah, there's no nostalgia factor for you. Yeah, there's no nostalgia rose-colored glasses thing. It was always more of a... I was slightly disappointed when I watched it. Yeah, but I think actually why I find it serendipitous that we are talking about One More Chance in tandem with The House of Us is because I think a lot of the things I was apprehensive about in One More Chance was fixed in The House of Us. and. Given that both are Kathy Garcia Molina films, I feel like you can actually track a little bit of 
growth. Yes. Between how the two movies view relationships. Yes. Right. Okay, general opinion first about The House of Us. Yeah. I loved it. Same. Like, <laughs> surprisingly, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was so mature and nuanced that I'm actually genuinely surprised. I think both of these films, like they have the beauty and the beast trope with this mean, uh, mean-spirited, aggressive man and this woman who's ambitious, but also like with a good heart. Right, right. But I think The House of Us is better at that because it says something about like, I guess, male aggression in a way. And pride. Yeah. Right. Male yeah, aggression yeah. and pride. It really says something about it. Like it underscores na hindi yan pwede and the relationship will only work if you somehow make it up to that person and become a better person, right? I know that 2007 is in the grand scheme of things, like not that far back. But I really think that One More Chance is a product of its time. Yeah. And if you compare it directly to The House of Us, you can see how much society has kind of grown in terms of how we view relationships, which personally, I really appreciate. Yeah, right? Like, because The House of Us, like, it has boundaries. I think One More Chance kind of tries to do that at the end. We don't really get to see it. Because what happens is Popoy leaves for Qatar. And then somehow he changes in that two years that he's away. We don't see how. We don't say what, we don't see what he does. Whereas with Danielle in The House of Us, you kind of, you have to see how Prima changes, right? He has to give up so much. He respects her so much. He knows what he did was wrong. He apologizes plenty of times. And he has to earn that happily ever after. Right. Knowing the apology isn't like, I don't know, it's not tinged with selfishness, I feel like. Right. And there's no victim complex there. And he never makes her feel like she owes him forgiveness or something, right? Right, yeah. I think that the redemption arc, if you will, in The House of Us feels more impactful because you get to see what made them work as a couple. And I didn't really feel that in One More Chance. Yeah, same. I didn't feel invested in Popoy and Basha's relationship because there was no concrete enough indication of what worked for them before all of this happened. Yes. The thing about it, I think, is that One More Chance spent a lot of time focusing on what didn't work. It was a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you just see them miserable all the time. That I can't root for you. I'm sorry. You just don't work. And of course, I understand showing... The heartbreak post-breakup is what resonated with people. But you're right, Ika. I felt like I had nothing to root for aside from thinking Bea and John Lloyd, the people, like the actors, look good next to each other. And, you know, that was one of the things that The House of Us really got to do right. We got to spend time with Primo and George's relationship in their prime. And so we got to know them a little bit better. That was the point of, like, George's monologue in the beginning. Can I just say, that was shot beautifully. Mm, yeah, I really yeah. love that. It was like, ah, oh, yes. I think, you know, with One More Chance, there was a lot of focus on the heartbreak, which, you know, is a valid choice. And, like, sometimes you want to watch a sad film. Like, that's cool. But because there was so much focus on what didn't work and even like the part where Vasha basically is so much happier outside of the relationship, suddenly to have them get back together in the last few minutes of the movie, it doesn't feel earned, if you will. I feel like it kind of compromised it by the end of it. Because like, like 
all signs were leading to them just ending it forever. It's not good. Even when they get back together, like midway, when they hook up, it's not healthy. It's cheating, yeah. That should already be a sign that, no, alis na, quits na, done na. Yeah. But then I think because maybe Star or maybe like someone wanted to give the happily ever after, it kind of like tacked on at the end. I think the movie would have been so much stronger if it didn't. I wouldn't have minded a reunion. Just not an allusion to getting back together, I think. Yes, that would have been fine, right? Yeah, I feel like at that point, there wasn't a lot that was really resolved. Because so much has already happened. And these films are basically a picture of the problems of a relationship and like how to make amends and how to get past those problems. And I think for both movies, actually, there was a lot of conflict surrounding gender roles that I think One More Chance left up in the air. Mm, Okay, go on. Comparatively, The House of Us was a little bit more self-aware in that regard and was able to manage those conflicts a bit more, which I really appreciated. Their first sequence when they're debating is literally about gender roles, and I found that actually very, very fun and very interesting. Maybe one can argue that rom-coms are an exploration of gender roles in society in general, but in these two movies, those affect the characters quite a bit. For example, Popoy was like, a guy's guy who has a lot of double standards and had a lot of what we would now more openly call microaggressions towards Basha. To be fair, it was very much like a stereotype of like all of the wrong things that a man can do in a relationship. But, you know. Yes, exactly. Including how, because, you know, marriage was on the horizon, Popoy was particularly pressured about providing He was all about his job because he wanted to give a good future and be like a solid, I guess, a solid couple. Exactly. And he was pushing Basha to kind of put her head down and not to take risks so as to be practical. So I think that was interesting because I feel like Primo in The House of Us struggles with that also, but in a different way. Mm, Yeah. Where Popeye kind of puts pressure onto Basha and prevents her ambition Mm. because he's struggling with work himself. Primo buckles and closes in on himself, but in the process, also prevents George from pursuing her ambition. So the effects of the actions of Popoy and Primo are the same. It's just that, you know, their actions are different. But, you know, the bigger picture is that both of them are struggling against that gender role of being a provider. Yeah, like Popoy pushes himself to fulfill that, whereas Primo rejects it with all his being. And then the thing with Primo is that he has to learn that he has to be practical. Towards like the middle, I think there was a scene where he was giving um like Catherine the payment for the bills and and he wasn't doing it to be like smug or anything like, oh look, I've changed, you know. He was like, Oh yeah, this is just my part. And then parang Catherine was like, ka like <laughs> And he didn't even like push it in her face. Na parang, Oy, nagbago ako. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, he was just like, Oh yeah, mo. It was just great seeing, like, a guy grow up. Because that's very rare. That's so true. (laughs) The fact that he grew up and became, like, a functioning adult, not relying on George to mother. Yeah. And, of course, it wasn't just the men trying to push against these gender roles. Basha and George are also trying to navigate that. 
when I was watching both of them, I was like, wow, hindi talaga pwedeng both career and love pala sa babae, no? <laughs> Oo nga, eh, my God. Diba? It's always the conflict, no? Yeah. Which is so annoying. Like, genuinely, it's just like, you can you can do both, you guys. Come on. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Um, For both Basha and George, though, um, admittedly, at varying levels, they had to be the self-sacrificing one, you know, the giving one in the relationship. And at some point, they had enough and they chose themselves. And then suddenly, there's a questioning of that newfound independence at some point. But that conflict was far more damaging for Basha, I think. In the third act of One More Chance, it almost seemed like she thought it was futile that she decided to choose her career and herself over her relationship with Popoy. I was just thinking of how they did it in The House of Us where everyone was telling Catherine to prioritize herself and her studies over, over Primo. And then you see that scene in George, she gets off the jeep to help a drunken Primo. And then Primo was just saying, no, she still makes the choice to prioritize Primo. Yeah, that's true. It was her choice and she was given that agency. Yeah. And I think that's another interesting perspective when it comes to Basha and George, because Basha also tries to gain agency. Yeah. She was the one who broke up with Popoy. And I was super happy for her. I love when she says her line, that I need to find Basha wala si Popoy. I did like that line. I loved that line. Yeah. It was a great line. I really was like, go girl! <laughs> okay, I think it's a big thing that because they were working together, especially when they Yeah, that's true. It's important to like have separate lives, you know? They also show in the film naman talaga, that Popoy was very like controlling. Like He set the tone of pretty much everything in their relationship. That's not healthy. It's maybe cute the first time and then that's it. Yeah. Ugh. Just the thought of someone dictating your every single move and not allowing you to like even so much as eat the skin of fried chicken. <laughs> it's terrifying. So I get why she was like terrified at the start, why she couldn't breathe in like the very first scene. Like, siya. like as soon as I saw like, oh, she's having a physical reaction to what's happening in her relationship and the thought of like being with him forever. Like, girl, get out. Mm. That's also why I feel like the second half suffers a lot is because you lose a lot of the agency that Basha kind yeah. of yanks for herself. I think with one more chance, and the reason why you know we have we have such a difficult time sort of reconciling um, the ending with pretty much the entire story is because Basha makes the decision. You know, she she's like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like, I have to break up with you, and she gets her freedom. She gets her agency. She gets what she needs. And then some, like, for most of the second act, she sort of yanked back into situations that leaves her with very little control. Yeah. I think that that's the fundamental difference between her character and, you know, Catherine's in The House of Us. With One More Chance, the second act kind of just feels like there is, like, some sort of inevitability versus you feel like in The House of Us, choices are being made. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I feel like George was allowed to make an active decision, more so than Basha, who was kind of overwhelmed by things happening. And I feel like for George, when she does let Primo back into her life, it was done because she knew that now they could find that balance between, you know, having their own individual selves and also being a part of a relationship. 
instead of an either or. And the two of them, ayun na nga, they figured out the house of their relationship. And we see that happen. The growth happens on screen, not off screen, like One More Chance. With One More Chance, like so much is left off the screen. And so it's much harder to accept that it is an earned happy ending because you don't know how in the world they got there. Yeah, like you can assume that they're in better places by like their face, the way that they look like they don't look miserable anymore. They dress better. They have like, I guess, better makeup on. But there's no real indication. Yeah, there's no indication that he changed or she changed. I think they do kind of like try. There's definitely an attempt. It's just not quite as fleshed out as it should be. Yeah, there's an attempt to show Basha's moment of realization at Mark's wedding. By the way, I know we've been dunking on One More Chance a little bit, but (laughs) Mark was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Him being a voice of reason for Basha made him such a great character. Yeah, Mark is a great second lead. Plus, I love that their relationship never became romantic. I always assume just watching the clips like, oh, okay, so typical na she got into another relationship too fast. Rebound na naman to. And then watching it, I'm like, whoa, hindi siya rebound. He's just a good friend and a voice of reason. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. I like this. As a side note also, I personally love that the voice of reason is male. <laughs> Because too often, there is just, like, that one female best friend who talks you out of your dumb shit. And, like, I just appreciated that this time around, it's like, hey, boys can be relatively well-adjusted, too. Yeah, boys can be adults. Yeah, same. We love platonic relationship representation. But, yeah, right? There was that scene at Mark's wedding where he tells Basha that breakups are okay because it allows you to grow. And sometimes that's what you need. He's the living, breathing example of that because now he's married to someone that he once broke up with. And I think that was an important scene. Even though ultimately for us, the film didn't really succeed in showing that realization for Basha. And like, to be honest, it didn't really help her regain agency. I mean, she had to be told that, really. I mean, she had to be told that realization. But at least we still got the scene. So, yeah, kudos to Mark. And honestly, also to Ange, she was a real one. The two of them are my favorites. Love how our favorite parts of One More Chance are, like, not the main characters. Oh, like, yeah, the main characters can just, like, go cry each other. We love these side characters. I mean, what can we do? They were great. And, you know, they're probably us to our friends in real life. So we've talked quite a bit about the characters and their inner conflicts, especially when framed with the concept of gender roles. But given that these films are romance films, they do address a lot of notions about relationship and marriage. For example, The House of Us literally makes an entire device out of the idea of boundaries. Right, with the tape. Yeah. And I thought that was very clever. And like, they both set it together. It wasn't just one person saying that this is it, right? They both like had an agreement, like they had a debate about it. But in the end, they they made it happen. And the thing is, he wouldn't necessarily cross 
the literal boundaries of the house unless she gave him the go signal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he'd give her some things. He'd maybe like push it a bit like request, oh, I can move the, the sofa here and then you can sit beside me if you're okay with it. But not once did I ever feel like he just completely ignored it. Which is honestly a great, you know, very simple visual way of getting that message out. We talk a lot about like how media teaches people things and all of that. And it's just nice to see, you know, like a very visual um, representation of, hey, respect the boundaries of your partners. Exactly. Um, on another note, I think another thing I appreciated. Sorry if I'm just gushing about the house. Of the- <laughs> it's okay, Ika. No worries. That's fine. But there was like this big moment where he was asking for forgiveness. And there was like, I think, a giant cake. And he was singing her a song. Oh, yeah. And it ended with a fight. And then she ran off to be with like her friend. I think what I appreciated is that that wasn't what made her get back together with him. Because all too often, like a lot of rom-coms like to go like, there's this big show of affection. Uh, yeah. I've changed. Look at this this fun killing moment. But like with The House of Us, he really had to like give up his most prized possessions. He had to respect her boundaries. He had to say, oh, after this, wala na tayo. I respect that. I'm very sorry for what happened. This is how I grew up. All of that. And then she finds like the broken record, realizes that he was suffering from this intense depression, when, which, which I appreciate, by the way, that these two films in general show that men can suffer from like depression and, and emotions. And then she lets him back into her life. He had to earn that. And you can't just earn it with one big thing. You have to show that you change. And also, it's tackled very well in The House of Us. But I think to an extent, it's also discussed in One More Chance. You can't fix relationships with a single gesture. Like, there is a lot of work that you have to put in to actually make a partnership work. And I think that that's also an important thing that both of these films were able to tackle pretty well. I think the thing is, One More Chance has these good moments and they're amplified in The House of mm. Us. They're both written and directed by Kathy Garcia Molina. And I think she took the good moments of um, One More Chance and said, okay, how do I work this into The House of Us? And it works. Like, the groundwork is there. You just needed to build upon it a bit. Okay. One More Chance the remix. Ganun. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, um, Ika, of like, is this a tour theory criticism? Honestly, it might be, you know. Honestly, it's a very possible framework because it is as much a showcase of Kathy Garcia Molina's career as it is maybe a snapshot of how society's views about love and relationships have changed. And cycling back to just the existence of love teams in general. We're going a little full circle here, but pretty much it's just romance is so ingrained in Filipino culture. Yeah, Filipinos are very romantic. Like killing. Right, yeah. In general, just like the concept of killing is so Filipino. It's so part of society and how we interact and how we even think. That just speaks to our souls. Kilig, romance, big parts of us. I would also like to throw in Tadhana. Yes. Just like the concept of people fated to be together, like the universe conspiring to help you end up together, which is, again, tackled also in One More Chance and The House of Us. Yeah. Even if you separate, you're just gonna find your way back to each other. No, yeah, exactly. You know, like fate and all of these things, which is, it's such a big part of our culture not just in romance but generally speaking we believe so much in like fate and like the higher plan and all of that and it's just it's interesting to see it broken down and like 
inserted into like a film format. That's why I think these films are so big because they tackle all these issues of heartbreak, hugot, kilig, yeah. tadhana in two hours of a film. It's everything you love and kind of want. Well, legit, the three, those three, hugot, kilig, tadhana, that's basically like, it summarizes yeah. everything. <laughs> exactly. And it's your like formula for a good like romance story, basically. Yeah, if you hit all three, you're gonna make it. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> But also, actually, I think what's really nice about most rom-coms or romance films is the optimism. There's always hope mixed in there. And I think that's why a lot of people find it comforting. I think it's because the main feeling you get, really, is being hopeful about love. No matter how hard relationships are, no matter how hard life is, and how hard being a cog in the capitalist machine is, you can still be optimistic about love. It's escapist cheese, you know? Yeah. I like what you said. Na parang it's comforting to know that you can always go back to these films and feel like killing romance and all of that. It just satisfies, I guess, that part of you that just longs for that kind of fairy tale movie kind of love, you know? And shifting away from these two films in particular, I think what I love about Filipino romantic films in general is that there's such a variety, but most of them in some way really end on a hopeful note. You know, even if your characters don't get together in the end, there is growth, there is looking to the future. And that's such an important thing, especially these days where everything just feels kind of shitty. You know, like you can always hold on to hope in some capacity. Yeah. In a way, it's telling you that everything will be okay. It's like chicken soup, you know? Yeah, that's true. Gawin nating tinola para Filipino. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hope is a very powerful thing. And seeing hope in your media can be incredibly uplifting. And especially at a time where things aren't so great and hope is a little scarce, we'll take it where we can get it. Also in the theme of hope, actually, we've talked a lot about how our mainstream media is dominated by romance. And there is discourse about how there's too much space taken up by studio rom-coms in mainstream Philippine cinema. And that's definitely a valid concern. Of course, we want space for everyone, not just for studios. So I also get that this dominance might be exasperating. But I also think that the romance genre, rom-coms, it's a gateway to be able to branch out eventually into more diverse stories. With every new Hallmark movie, I am hopeful that we'll keep getting better and better things, especially if we fight for it, you know? And people have been fighting for it more. Jumping back to two episodes ago with Gaia Sa Pelicola, like, you know, we're seeing an evolution of how romantic comedies are now diving much deeper into specific issues talking about things that you know people ordinarily wouldn't talk about through media like say 10-15 years ago and they do that like so seamlessly you know like it's not forced or anything like it's just incorporated into the story and it's still a story that makes you click and laugh right right because these are realities these are just things that people go through and looking back to one more chance and the house of us and how 
that sort of tracks our growth as a society over the last couple of decades. I would honestly say that I am just really appreciative of the fact that we are now able to talk about the hard parts of the romance. And talk about it in a more thoughtful and nuanced manner, I think. I also like the idea that, let's say, movies reflect what's happening in real life. That's always a thing. And it's kind of debated on. But the fact that there's such a change in the way like of like One More Chance in the House of Us kind of gives me hope that we're finally reaching this point where people are suddenly aware of what the bad and the good parts of a relationship and how to fix that and like how love is like complicated but at the same time it shouldn't be painful and all of that like i'm just kind of glad that we're reaching a healthier and maybe potentially a more equal kind of relationship yeah that's a great point yes yeah and you know i feel like when we were all growing up there was this concept well there still is but like like there was a very strong concept of the movie romance like the movie relationship where it's perfect it's so packaged and shiny and amazing and i just really appreciate that like younger generations will look at movies and be like oh relationships take work yes that's such an important thing yeah i like the idea of younger people finally seeing like positive but influences on them because of like movies that are like not so problematic or not so picture perfect in a way it's kind of refreshing that like a little kid will see this and like oh so that's not how i'm supposed to be tweeted that's so true it's kind of joyous in a way that maybe the kids or the younger generation is more or better equipped for like romantic relationship yeah that's so true i do hope they are better equipped for romantic relationship Yeah. Let's let's hope, you know, because that's well <laughs> not not even. Let's hope and let's just work to make it happen because yeah. Come on, you guys. There are so many like weird things that we were taught as children that we've like had to unlearn. And, you know, I'm just happy that at the very least mainstream studio romantic comedies are helping teach kids the the importance of a healthy relationship. Absolutely. And I guess we're ending on that hopeful note as well. Ooh. Much like these rom-coms. <laughs> we're hopeful that in the future, we'll keep getting better as a society with regard to how we are in relationships. We'll keep getting better as storytellers and creatives who feel the responsibility of the messages we put out there about love. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell these good, hopeful, not problematic, very healthy and sweet stories that are somewhat grounded and realistic. And also, we're hopeful that, you know, romantic relationships can hit that triumvirate of Kilig, Hugot, and Tadana and still actually be functioning and happy. Yes. So, good luck to everyone who is... I don't know, looking for a relationship, in a relationship. Will be in a relationship. Whatever that is. Good luck. Hope you take the good things from all these movies. Yeah. And I hope you enjoy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, happy Valentine's, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes. Thank you, Ika, for being here with us. No, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Like, honestly, I had, like, the best time with the two of you. Ika, you're too nice. Thank you. We had the best time with you also. 
And on that note, this was a great discussion and we want to continue it with you guys. So we are going to be on Twitter kind of like talking about this a little bit more. So let us know what are your favorite rom-coms? Have you seen the ones we've talked about? Who's your favorite love team? Let us know. Ask relationship advice. Maybe we're not the best ones to answer it. But, you know, we can have a discussion anyway. I'll, I'll pop in. I'll pop in sometimes. Right. Yeah. Direct them to Ika, you guys. Yeah, Ika will try. So we're doing all of that over at In Media's Mess on Twitter. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.